Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would come among us by your Holy Spirit, that we would see Jesus and that we would be more like Jesus. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here this morning. And um, it's been another exciting week here at the church. We're still recovering from Vacation Bible School the week prior, but um, this week we had our monthly food giveaway, and it was a wonderful time yesterday here at the church. Thanks to all of you, both um, during the week and also yesterday, who helped with um, serving our neighbors in need in that way. We had about 175 families that came through yesterday, and we had um, a lot of produce, which was very exciting, fresh produce, um, both from some local markets, and also we've begun, we've developed a new partnership with a ministry up in Baltimore County, Maryland, almost up to the Pennsylvania line called First Fruits Ministry. And the man who established the ministry is a Messianic Jew, and it's about a 200-acre crop farm, most of which is staffed by volunteers, and they give 100% of the food that they grow on that farm away to food pantries and churches who are assisting the needy. So we are the first church to partner with them in Virginia. And thanks be to God for Jim Morrison being willing to drive all the way up there and haul back a whole pickup truck load of fresh vegetables on Friday. But excited about that partnership as well. And just a wonderful, wonderful time as we see um, God working in the lives of our, our neighbors here in the community who have food insecurity. I want to invite you today to take out your Bibles and devices with scripture on them, or you can reach under your pew for a Bible and turn to the 12th chapter of the letter to the Hebrews. Last Sunday, we spent our time focusing on the opening verses of the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And we especially last Sunday focused on Abraham, but we also talked about other Old Testament heroes of the faith. And we also, in addition, tied things into our vacation Bible school with the example of the Old Testament patriarch, Joseph. We learned from scripture that these Old Testament heroes were given as examples to us. Examples of what it truly means to trust in God and in his promises. Examples of what it means to truly take God at his word, even when we have no frame of reference to understand how God will fulfill his promises. We also saw how, we also saw how for each of these Old Testament heroes, their trust in God grew out of both a personal encounter with God and then moving forward from that encounter, intimate fellowship with God. The example of Abraham's call stands out with that, where God spoke to him and called him out of Ur of the Chaldees and promised him that he would make him a great father of many nations. And all this was spoken to Abraham when his wife was childless, and he had no children of his own with his wife. And Genesis 15, 6, also attested to in Hebrews 11, says this, Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. We also read of Enoch in Hebrews 11 and looked at what Genesis 5, verse 22 says about the Old Testament hero Enoch, where Enoch walked with God. As I noted last Sunday, what an amazing way to be remembered for all time and eternity in God's word to be known as a man who walked 
with God. Then we concluded by prayerfully reflecting on how God is calling us to trust him. What God is speaking to each of us. Today's New Testament reading from Hebrews continues in this same vein. And the reading opens with God's call to us. And that call is found in the second part of verse 1. And here it is. Let us also, so also like those heroes of old, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God is calling us, God is calling you and me to run the race. And the race he is talking about here is a metaphor for the life of faith. Trusting in God and walking with God in all of life and in every circumstance. The New English Bible translates this verse, run with resolution the race for which we are entered. And I really like that translation of this verse and the imagery that it so accurately evokes. Because if we are living a life of faith in God through Jesus Christ, we brothers and sisters indeed have entered into a race. A race which is a marathon, not a sprint. And it is God himself who calls and empowers us to run this race. Additionally, here in Hebrews, God instructs us how to run this race with endurance in such a way that we will reach the finish line victoriously. But to do this, we must lay aside every weight. That's what it says here, every weight and every sin that so easily besets us. Endurance involves struggle. Endurance involves firm resolve to continue being built up in this living faith. And through this living faith and the work of God in us, we are able to endure and to persevere and to continue running. Persevering is that which matures our faith. In addition to persevering in this race, God also calls us to lay some things aside to let go of them. And what he calls us to lay aside is this. This idea here encompasses anything that hinders us with running this race, with running this race of faith. Laying aside anything, did you hear that? That hinders or inhibits us. F.F. Bruce in his commentary on the book of Hebrews says this. There are many things which may be perfectly all right in their own way but which hinder a competitor in the race of faith. They are weights which must be laid aside. Those of you that know me know, especially before I moved down here to Northern Virginia, living in Maryland, I did a lot of hunting, both waterfowl hunting and deer hunting. And I'm gonna date myself, although I started hunting when I was about a three-year-old toddler, okay? Um, back in the 80s, kind of the cutting edge technology with cold weather hunting boots was something called sorrels. Is anyone familiar with what I'm talking about? Yeah, I see hands going up. They kind of look like duck boots or duck shoes, but very heavy duty. Um, and they were really good for keeping your feet warm. They, they were waterproof, rubber bottoms, leather uppers, and they had these thick liners, about a half inch thick that you put down in the shoe, but you could also pull them out if they got damp to dry them out and that sort of thing. So they worked well for keeping your feet warm, and this is before new technologies developed, but those things weighed a ton. 
If you've ever walked in them, I mean, not exaggerate. I think they were like four pounds plus per shoe. And I remember one time, you know, in my youthful stupidity, um, you know, I, I went hunting a couple of days after I had been sick and where I did a lot of deer hunting, it was very, it was in Hartford County, but very hilly, really steep terrain. And I had a, quite a ways to go. And the last climb to get where I, my stand was, was a really steep hill. And I'm going in there in the pitch black, you know, at four o'clock, 4.30 in the morning. And these heavy shoes on walking through snow. And I got up to that tree and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I was so exhausted from being sick and the weight of those shoes. Um, they just were utterly exhausting to wear if you had to traipse very far, especially in snow or rough terrain. But the imagery here, I think of, I'm, I'm thankful for new technology that allowed me to lay aside those sorrels for stuff that's just as warm and just as waterproof and a whole lot lighter. But that's kind of the imagery that God calls us to about laying aside things that encumber, things that make it difficult to go the distance. I also think, and I mentioned Milt Diaz in the first service because both of his sons were college swimmers. But I think of, you know, Olympic or competitive swimmers and the high-tech swimsuits they have now to minimize resistance as they go through the water. And they, they shave all the hair on their arms and their legs and they wear tight-fitting caps. And that's to keep the drag and the resistance to a minimum. But just like in a physical way, swimmers do that in competition. And just like in a physical way, it was time to get rid of those heavy shoes for newer technology. In a spiritual sense, God calls us to lay aside those things that create that unnecessary drag and hold us back. Those things that weigh us down and tire us out prematurely. And I think the question for you and me today as we look at this text is, what is God calling you what is God calling me, each of us, to lay aside or to lay down? I can't answer that for you. You can't answer that for me. But, but this is not just rhetorical. What is God calling us to lay down, each of us, to more fully run the race? What things, maybe even good things, as well as sins, do we need to truly let go of and relinquish so that we can more wholeheartedly run this race to which we are called. Not only has God given us a specific call, he has also given us a testimony in which in this passage here is twofold. God has given a testimony to us in addition to a call. The first portion of this testimony is the great cloud of witnesses seen in the beginning of verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. These witnesses clearly refer back directly to chapter 11. People who are remembered to us in God's word and who God commends to us as examples to follow because of their constancy of faith. Despite trials, despite hardship, despite persecution, despite ridicule, despite suffering. Their examples speak to us of the life and power of God realized in faithful obedience. And remember this, their faith was ultimately in the mighty works of God, things that God would do in the age that was yet coming through Jesus Christ. See, we have a tremendous advantage of perspective because 
we know the record of scripture. We know the record of history. What Jesus came and did as the eternal son of God on earth, laying down his life. For them, that was all still promises yet to come. And, and they didn't fully understand even how all that was going to come, up, come to pass. But they placed their trust in God. God who is faithful to, to fulfill his promises and keep his word. And this picture of this great cloud of witnesses is kind of like a great circular athletic arena with stands going up high as far as you can see. And the focus here is not so much on them looking down on us, but us as believers looking up to them figuratively as we look up to those bleachers, to their godly examples, to the godly character and lives that we see exemplified in them in the record of Scripture. And their examples, by God's grace, spur us on as active participants and witnesses in this race to which we are called. And we, like they did, as we see in their example, are to lay aside every weight, every encumbrance, and we're to run the race. The second part of the testimony of God for us completely supersedes and overshadows the first, this great cloud of witnesses, because this second testimony is the witness of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, the perfect and supreme example. Above all else, we are to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Look at verses two and three of Hebrews 12 with me. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same in shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The recipients of the letter to the Hebrews, scholars believe, were a disheartened and persecuted community of believers. To them and to us, Jesus is not only the founder or the author of our faith, he is also the perfecter of it. In Jesus, faith has reached its perfection. Perfection, complete, utter, obedient surrender to the will of the Father in a way and to a degree that is both unprecedented and completely foreign and contrary to the ways of this world. This, brothers and sisters, is what we see in Jesus. Remember the words that were hurled at Jesus by the scoffers when he was on the cross? One of those statements is recorded in Matthew 27, verse 43. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Those scoffers had no idea of the magnitude of the truth that they were proclaiming. Because in that moment as Christ hung on the cross, he gave the supreme and ultimate example of trust in God. The most poignant and profound example of God's truth in all of history is revealed in Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Again, to quote F.F. F. Bruce, 
The words, though not their implication, were truer then than they knew. The whole life of Jesus was characterized by unbroken and unquestioning faith in his heavenly father. And never more so than when in Gethsemane, he committed himself to his father's hands for the ordeal of the cross with the words, not what I will, but what thou wilt. In his perfect example of obedience, of running the race, Jesus disregarded the absolute shame and earthly disgrace that came with obedience. In other words, the shame, the mocking, the scorning, the humiliation, the disgrace, they all paled in comparison to his desire, his commitment to obey the will of his heavenly father. These things for him were not worthy to be taken into account when it was a question of obedience to the will of the father. May God grant us that same singular vision where we're not tethered to the things and the opinions of this world, but that our heart's desire is to be obedient, to live in full fidelity to the will of God. So we have God's call to us. We have God's testimony for us, both the great cloud of witnesses and our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And then finally, we have God's purpose in us. And I don't have time this morning to do this justice, not even close, and we'll only touch on a few key points. But as we do this, we must keep in mind that verses one through three that we just looked at establish the frame of reference for all that is said here. If you don't get verses one through three, you can never comprehend verses four through 11. As Christians, if we're to be like Jesus, if we're to run this race with endurance, we will suffer. We will be rejected. There will be hardship. Now there's a message that'll sell. But it's true. And Christians in the Western world, for the most part, I believe, have a deficient theology of suffering in the Christian life. I think there are several reasons for this. First, it's because we, in most cases, lack a first-hand frame of reference compared to many of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who really know what it is to be persecuted and suffer for the sake of the gospel. Secondly, I believe it's because there is a prevalent teaching in the Western world, in the church, which equates suffering with a lack of faith. Or it equates suffering with somehow being outside of God's will. When we look at the record of Scripture, nothing could be further from the truth. Now to be clear, there is nothing mysterious or hyper-spiritual about suffering simply for the sake of suffering. It is suffering because of obedience and fidelity to Jesus Christ which counts. And God uses suffering to discipline us, to root things out of us which are not of him, he uses discipline to cause us to lay down those things and cast aside those things which hinder us, those sins which so easily beset us. And God does this solely because he loves us. Do we get that? God does this in our lives because he loves us. He loves us perfectly as our heavenly father. 
verse 10. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Wow. Think about that. That we may share his holiness. The holiness of the one true almighty God. That we can be partakers of his nature. And that we can truly by his work in us reflect his character. Because God in his very essence not just in something that he does but in his very essence part of his being is that God is holy. No sin can dwell in his presence. He is completely other and set apart from all of creation and his uniqueness. And yet holiness in its most basic sense of being sense of being set apart for God and for his purposes. God calls us and empowers us as we live this life and run this race to be just that. That's an amazing thing to ponder. And he disciplines us for our good so that we can ever increasingly share in and reflect his holy character. God's discipline proves that we are fully his children, that we are heirs of his and all that Jesus has promised. St. Paul writes in the fifth chapter of Romans, verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Do you see the connection there? Suffering for the cause of Christ, suffering in the gospel in this, this life of faith, it produces endurance. God breathed, God empowered endurance. And as we open ourselves to the fullness of God's work in us, walking in obedience to him and his call to us, benefiting from the example of the testimony to us from the heroes of old and especially through and supremely through Jesus, we have the assurance, brothers and sisters, that God as our loving Heavenly Father will indeed accomplish his good work and his purposes in us. The heroes of the Old Testament got this. Hebrews 11 attests to that. They got it. Maybe not perfectly, maybe not right away, but they got it. The heroes of the New Testament got it. St. Paul got it. That's why he could write in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. God's call to us to run the race, to run with endurance, to lay aside hindrances and besetting sins, anything that would slow us down or keep us from reaching the end of the race. The fact is, though, it's not just running the race. In order to run the race, we have to get into it. And that comes through, just like we saw in these heroes in Hebrews chapter 11 last week, that comes through a living encounter with the Most High God and then walking in intimate fellowship with Him. You can't run the race unless you get in it. So if you've never gotten in the race, that is God's call first and foremost to you today. And for those of us who are running the race, to keep our eyes on the prize, to keep running the race with endurance, laying aside those things that hold us down and hold us back. 
God has given us these wonderful witnesses, godly examples to show the truth, the veracity of what he said and his fidelity in fulfilling all that he has promised. And finally, all of this leads to fulfillment of God's purpose in you and me. That we would reflect the character of God. Holiness. Being set apart for God and for his purposes and reflecting his character to a world around us. Not being tethered to the stuff of this world, whether that be good stuff or whether that be persecution and suffering and all of those things. But having our eyes fixed on him. And as we keep our eyes fixed on him and he continues to infuse us with his grace and his power. Walking in his holy character. There is no limit to what God can do through us for his purposes and for his glory. Let us pray. So Father, even now we pray. I pray that you search our hearts thank you Lord for your faithfulness for your fidelity and that what you have called us to you are more than willing and able to accomplish in and through us so Lord give us grace even now search our hearts Father by your spirit to show us those things which we must lay down which we must set aside that encumber us that hinder us to keep us from running this race with all of our being. Thank you, Lord, for the witnesses of old. Thank you for the supreme testimony of Jesus Christ, the perfect, supreme example of obedience to your will. And Father, thank you that you call us to walk in and live out your character in our lives. Use us, we pray. Cleanse us. Renew us. Lord, discipline us according to your will to make us more like Jesus. And may you receive all the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.